We've been, uh, we've been talking the last while about confession, uh, something that, that sometimes we overlook, something that we need to remind ourselves of, and, and we've been looking at uh, why do we need to confess and how do we do that, etc. Uh, today we want to uh, talk about two final things that I think are part of confession. One of them is restitution, and the other one is forgiveness. And uh, I think both of them are important, as uh, our two texts this morning uh, that Carl read indicate. So we'll talk about restitution, uh, and, and then uh, we'll switch gears and we'll talk about confession. So let me define restitution for you. It is the material and social repayment made as acknowledgement and restitution by an offending party to an aggrieved party for wrongs done in order to repair the injuries, losses, and or disadvantages caused by the wrong. That was kind of a lengthy, hard definition. Uh, restitution is a biblical concept. It's found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were under the law, which specified restitution in a variety of circumstances. And you can go to Exodus chapter 22 if you want to read some of that. Uh, the interesting thing is that restitution actually has two people in mind. It has the offended party in mind. And, and you will think, if you read, if we follow the Old Testament law, in some cases it was repay five times what you took. So if I take your cow, I have to give you five cows back. So in other words, the idea of restitution was meant to protect the marginalized or the aggrieved. The other end, the other end is, oh shoot, if I have to give five cows back for the cow I stole, I'm going to avoid stealing. Right? In other words, it was an incentive to the offender to avoid, to learn from their mistakes and avoid making those mistakes in the future. Okay? Well, I've decided not to go to the Old Testament law and not to read all of that to you and decided rather to look at the case of Zacchaeus in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 19, uh, as, as was read, Jesus is visiting Zacchaeus' house. And the people who know this chief tax collector to be wicked and oppressive, they're beginning to murmur about his association with a sinner. And by the way, those of you that were in adult Sunday school class this morning, we wrestled with what does it mean for us as believers to associate with someone that doesn't hold our worldview? What does it mean to love on the marginalized? What does it mean to be a believer in today's world? Well, we can find from Zacchaeus' words, uh, there aren't many, but we can find from what he says that, number one, he was guilty of defrauding people. He admits to it. He was guilty of defrauding people. But number two, he was remorseful for his past actions. He was remorseful over his past actions. And thirdly, he was committed to making restitution. Uh, that's a bit of a recipe for us. He, he knew he had done the deed. He, he felt sorry for doing it. And he didn't say, oh, well, I've, I've said I'm sorry. That should be good enough. He committed to making restitution. And, and beyond Zacchaeus' words here, we find Jesus' words to also give us some clues. Number one, what Jesus said tells us that Zacchaeus was saved that day and his sin was forgiven. They're pretty clear what Jesus says. He says, 
Today's salvation has come to this house. Uh, but secondly, the evidence, don't get the order wrong, the evidence of his salvation was both his public confession and his relinquishing of all ill-gotten gains. So I, I'm not saying that, that his restitution was the way of salvation. I'm not telling you that what you do will help you earn entrance into heaven. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is that Zacchaeus repented and his sincerity was evident in his immediate desire to make restitution. And the same holds true for everyone who truly, truly knows Christ today. So I'm saying that actually applies to all of us. So why, you might think, that this is archaic. We're in that 21st century for crying out loud. Why are you talking about restitution? That's an old idea. Well, I'm going to give you some reasons why I think restitution is important. Number one, restitution is a sign of genuine repentance. In Zacchaeus' example and Jesus' response to it, there's proof that this is the way it is. Genuine repentance leads to a desire to atone for past wrongs. When someone becomes a follower of Christ, and he or she then will have a desire born of deep conviction to do good, and that includes making restitution wherever possible. And I, I say wherever possible because it's also important to remember that sometimes there are sins that no adequate restitution can be made. It, 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 I realize this is a bit of an extreme example, but if you kill someone, you can't restore that person to life. You can't make restitution that life is gone, right? So there, there are things where restitution becomes very difficult. But the desire to make restitution is a result of our repentance, not a requirement for salvation. If you have received forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven, whether or not you've been able to make restitution for them. So, number one, I think restitution is a sign of genuine repentance. Number two, restitution restores peace. Restitution restores peace. And God tells us in Romans 12, 18, that we are supposed to make every effort to be at peace with everyone to the extent that it depends on you. And I think that verse already suggests that it isn't always possible. You see, because it takes two. You can't force that other person to be at peace with you. And, and it's hard. It's hard to be at peace when sin is contaminating a relationship. And I think that restitution can go a long way toward restoring peace and unity. So a second reason for restitution is restoring peace. Thirdly, Restitution is an application of the second great commandment. You remember those two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. When you're wronged in some way, don't you want the offender to make it right? Luke 6.31 says, Love your neighbor as yourself and do to them as you would want them to do you. So if I take your cow, you want your cow back, right? Number four, I've already alluded to this. Restitution helps to ensure we won't repeat the sin, <laughs> especially when we're talking about adding 20% or 500%. That's a pretty stiff deterrent. 
In fact, at 500%, you want me to steal your cow because you're looking forward to the five you're going to get. Yeah, here, please. You'd leave the fence open. Proverbs 26, verse 11 tells us that a fool is prone to repeating his folly in the same way that a dog returns to its vomit. Proverbs' words, not mine. It's a little harsh, right? In other words, the tendency to repeat mistakes is there. We are wise to see restitution as an opportunity to discipline ourselves, allowing it to teach us to avoid the same sin in the future because of the consequences. So restitution actually... When I have to make restitution for something, it actually helps me. It actually helps me. It's, a, it's just like getting a ticket for speeding is a great deterrent to speeding again. I didn't speed. I hit a deer this week, Bambi's bigger brother, but I didn't speed. Number five, restitution also helps you to move on. Restitution helps you to move on. It helps bring closure to that thing. What do you do when shame tends to linger? Well, sometimes what we're actually sensing is conviction from God that we need to make restitution. And as I've already suggested, restitution kind of aims to acknowledge the wrong done, make payment for the wrong done, and bring closure to both parties. I think restitution brings closure to, make, to both parties. <clears throat> How do we make restitution redemptive? How do we make it redemptive? I think, as you've already heard me say, restitution is a sign of taking responsibility for one's actions. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates that God wants us to be less responsible now after Christ's coming than before. Restitution is not inconsistent with forgiveness. Believers in Old Testament times were called to forgive others' offenses yet they were entitled to receive restitution, Numbers chapter 5. Forgiving another person's wrong doesn't mean, means that you won't dwell on it, or use it against the person, or talk to others about it, or let it stand between you. But being forgiven does not necessarily mean releasing the offender from responsibility to repair the damage. Certainly, an injured party might exercise mercy. You might decide to forgive me for taking your cow. And in some cases, it's good to waive the right to restitution. But in many cases, restitution or making restitution is beneficial even for the offender. Doing so demonstrates remorse, sincerity, and a new attitude that can help speed the reconciliation, just like the case of Zacchaeus in Lucas chapter 19. And it serves to ingrain the lessons that will help the offender avoid similar wrongdoing in the future. If you have damaged another person's property or physically harmed someone, God expects you to do all that you can to make that person whole. And if he or she decides to release you from that responsibility, you should be deeply grateful for that mercy. On the other hand, if you have, harmed or been, if you have been harmed or your property damaged, you should prayerfully consider how badly you need to be made whole and whether making restitution would benefit or unduly burden the offender. As you pray about it, remember that blending mercy with justice is a powerful way to restore peace and glorify God. 
It's interesting that seasons of biblical and historical revival have always been marked by restitution. I read that this week as I was preparing, that seasons of biblical and historical revival have always been marked by restitution. That's something to think about. Apparently, one of God's primary, one of the primary ways that God's name is honored and the gospel spread is by people cleaning up their past. Hmm. This provides a path to real and lasting restoration, demonstrating that people who are right with God do right because of his reviving and renewing presence. So this morning, I'm suggesting, I think scripture is suggesting, that restitution is part of confession. And, and, and when we wrong someone, we have an obligation to seek to make restitution as much as possible. I can't talk about that without also talking about forgiveness. What does it mean to forgive? What does it mean to forgive? Well, to forgive means to let go of an offense or hurt, to cancel a debt, to release or pardon someone from penalty for an offense, to bear no malice towards someone, nor hold someone responsible for the offense. That's forgiveness. And the opposite, unforgiveness, is not being willing to forgive. It's being unmerciful, not allowing for mistakes to be corrected. And I think you will all agree with me that failure to forgive tends to imprison and shackle us. When you don't forgive someone for something, actually you're the one walking around in chains. That's nasty. It's not fair. But when we harbor bitterness, when the seedbed of bitterness grows in us because of something and we've been unable to forgive, we actually take some of that on ourselves. And then, and then we're not free because of it. Not forgiving keeps the pain alive and keeps the wounds open so that it never heals. I believe that God will give us grace and help us if we're willing to forgive. And I, and I realize that forgiving, depending on the situation, sometimes takes time. And I also realize that I can't demand, you need to forgive me right now, it's biblical, forgive me. Uh, I, I, I think that's not either the way that it goes. You need to give people the opportunity and the time uh, to forgive. Certainly, forgiveness is not approving of the wrong done by someone. It's not excusing bad behavior or justifying evil. It's not letting others abuse you. It's also not not pressing charges when a crime has been committed. It is not forgetting the wrong that was done. It's not what we would call willful amnesia. That's not what it is. We often hear the phrase, forgive and forget, but that can be misleading. Or we hear, I'll forgive, but I will never forget. Hmm? Probably said that a time or two. A person who has been abused will never forget that it happened. A person who has suffered from an unfaithful spouse will always remember that experience. But it is possible for each of these people and all of us that find something difficult to forgive, anyone who has been sinned against, it is possible to forgive and also to forget as long as the biblical definition of forgetting is in view. And I'm going to explain. 
In the Bible, remembering and forgetting does not have to do with retention of information. Because then God's lying if he says he forgets, because God is perfect at retaining information. How could he forget? If that's our understanding of remembering and forgetting. The biblical concept of remembering has to do with choosing to act. And forgetting means refusing to act on the basis of something that was done. So God doesn't forget that people sinned, but when he forgives, he chooses not to act on the basis of those sins. He's choosing to forget. That doesn't mean he doesn't remember it. It means he's chosen not to respond accordingly. God doesn't forget that people sin, but when he forgives, he chooses not to act. It's similar to the sentiment in 1 Corinthians 13.5 where it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. To forgive and forget means that the person who has forgiven will not continue to hold that sin against the wrongdoer or take it into account in future interactions. A person might remember that it happened, but he or she can choose not to act on it. That is biblical forgetting. Finally, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we will become best friends or that the relationship will always be restored. As I've said, there are times, it takes two. There are times that the relationship will not be restored. Forgiveness, though, does mean that we will try to make things right, restitution. Secondly, God models forgiveness. He is the greatest example of forgiveness. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 12, which we've read before. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the earth is from the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Meaning, in the biblical sense, he's choosing to forget, i.e., he's choosing to forgive. God forgives sin, but that does not mean that he simply looks the other way or sweeps it under the rug. That's not what it means. And certainly, we all understand that in order for God to forgive us, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus alluded to that at the Last Supper when he told the disciples, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. The only requirement is that sinful people confess their sin, turn from it, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So Matthew... 18 verses 21 to 35 that Carl read gives us this kind of strong call to forgiveness. And, and Jesus illustrates this question that Peter asks about how often do I need to forgive this brother of mine? He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And Carl is right. Some of the translations say 70 times 7, which basically means without number. Stop counting. Once a person has experienced the forgiveness of God, he or she is able and responsible to forgive others. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
You know, the verse that I appreciate the least happens to be in the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Which basically, to me, sounds like we're giving God permission to not forgive us if we're unforgiving. Ouch. Ouch. Because I have to admit, there have been times where I've been unforgiving. And, and, and at the heart of it, what does it mean? What does it mean? If I can't forgive you for something that you've done to me, it means that I still have not understood how much God has forgiven me. Because I'm the debtor with a million-dollar debt. You could kill me, and you still haven't done to me what I did to Christ and my sin nailing him to the cross. So if I can't forgive whatever it is, I think at the heart of it, I still have not understood how much I've been forgiven. My debt is completely unpayable by me. I can't work for forgiveness. I can't earn it. I can do nothing except receive it. And if I've understood that, then I should be able to forgive. Then I should be able to forgive. Those who refuse to forgive betray the fact that they've not understood how much of their own sin they need to have forgiven. And I think that's, to me, that's, that's part of confession, is, is understanding. And we talked about this in adult Sunday school. Sometimes we look down our noses at others and we look at their sins, and it's so convenient because then we don't have to focus on our own. And, and this is a call to say, you know what, here I come, and I'm not perfect, I'm not clean, I need your sanctifying work in my life and my heart. Followers of Christ should be willing to forgive people who have sinned against them. Every single person has wronged God far more than they have been wronged by other people, as I've just said. And you might say this morning, what about forgiving people who have sinned but have not confessed, repented, or asked for forgiveness? Hmm? What about that individual that has not repented or asked for forgiveness? Do I need to forgive them? Well, the goal of biblical forgiveness is not only to benefit the victim, but to restore the sinner. So there are times that forgiveness might be withheld in hopes of moving a person to repentance. That might be possible. But under no circumstances do you and I have the right to harbor resentment or nurture bitterness. For a person to, try to find true forgiveness, he or she must admit the sin, confession, and not try to pass it off as a mere mistake, human failing, or temporary lapse in judgment. Or simply deny the sin altogether. Certainly those are barriers to confession. So I want to close with a few questions, and then I'm going to get uh, Joel and Stanley to come up, and we'll see if there are others online. Here are some questions to ponder about restitution and forgiveness. Do I need to make restitution for something I've done in the past as part of my true repentance? As you and I do introspection this morning or this week, and maybe God brings something to mind, do I need to make restitution as part of true repentance? Number two, have I confessed my sin and received God's forgiveness? Even David, when he committed these atrocious sins with Bathsheba and Nathan, um, came to him. He said, I have, he said, God, I've sinned against you first. Every sin is against God first. Have I received? Have I confessed my sin to God and received his forgiveness? 
Excuse me. Number three. Is there anyone whom I have sinned against and from whom I need to ask forgiveness? Is there someone that I need to ask forgiveness from? Number four. Is there anyone who has sinned against me and who has asked me forgiveness, but I refuse to forgive? So now, has somebody asked me to forgive them and I've refused to forgive them? And finally, linked to that, is there anyone I'm holding a grudge against for past wrongs? I know sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. But this is, this is what Scripture calls us to. And, and the Holy Spirit lives and works in each of our hearts as we commit ourselves to Him. And as we grow spiritually, and I believe that confession, true repentance, will lead to restitution where necessary, and will also lead to forgiving, having an attitude of forgiveness. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll get Joel and Stanley to come up. Heavenly Father, this, um, yeah, this is tough. Uh, we, uh, we like to hold grudges. We like to hang on to things. Um, we want to be forgiving or forgiven for things, and then we are sometimes not forgiving ourselves. And, and when, we, when we sin against or wrong someone else, then we'd like to just gloss over it, and we don't always think seriously about the need to make restitution. So, Lord, I pray this week as you bring thoughts to our minds, as you prompt us where we need to forgive, where we need to make restitution, uh, where we need to clean up things in the past, Lord, uh, give us uh, a willingness and a desire to be obedient to you, uh, to love our neighbor, and where possible to restore relationships that need restoration. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what happens if the offender wants to restore and be in a relationship, but the offense was so great? What if this person is a close family member? In my experience, when someone is family, it is expected to continue to be in a relationship with family, regardless of what they have done, especially the closer that family is to you. For example, a parent. Okay. Um, my pastor was teaching and said something. I think I also said it. Yeah, that time. <laughs> um, when when offense comes, you you need time for the person to heal. You the idea of you know there's there's an entitlement mentality that we must take out of the picture. I've told him sorry. He should, he should just let this go. It's not your place to say that. It's not that 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 was why I said when you offend someone and you are going to apologize, you also pray that God who has touched your heart to know that what you did was wrong should also touch the person's heart to receive your apology and heal of the wound. 
Because a relationship cannot be reconstituted if the wound is not healed. It's, it's just the wound. Like, and sometimes people don't want to bring this relationship back because they are trying to avoid the repetition of what has happened before. So their, their own way of keeping you away from doing that same thing is to give you some distance. So it, in, a, in, a, in a short sentence, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so. I think, uh, I mean, without knowing all the particulars of the situation, the verse that says, as much as is possible, live at peace with all men. I think when Paul says that, he recognizes that sometimes it's not possible. And, and sometimes the option that you have is to, to put some distance. Uh, I, you're not hearing me say that if, um, if someone abuses you, that forgiveness means that you open yourself up to further and ongoing abuse. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm concerned about, what I'm concerned about in the heart of a person that finds it hard to forgive is I'm concerned about that person being shackled and, and carrying a wound that festers and creates health problems, emotional, mental, spiritual problems, etc. So I'm, 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 I'm concerned about your health and your release. And, and so that's why I say that you need to find a way to forgive. That doesn't always mean restoring the relationship, okay? Um, and, and forgiving means that you find a way to somehow let it go. And that doesn't always mean picking up where you left off. It doesn't always mean that the relationship is restored. There are all kinds of uh, aspects to relationships, right? Um, but finding a way to forgive so that you are, that you are released from whatever it was and, and also potentially that the other person is released from it. The end of the Matthew passage reads, and in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to you every, or will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This seems to reverse how we normally understand the order of things, that it is God's forgiveness. God forgives us and in response, we forgive others. Instead, this verse says that God forgives of us in conditional upon us forgiving others. What do we make of this? Okay. Um, <laughs> the forgiveness of God first, I, you need to understand is unconditional. Jesus was making an illustration with this story. And he said, now, so shall my heavenly father do to you when you don't forgive. You have all the time to obey this instruction. A time is going to come when this instruction will no longer matter. We will not be judged. At the time of judgment, you don't expect a, forgive, you don't expect a forgiveness over the instruction that you failed. I don't know if I make sense to you. You had five years, for example, to let something go. And... You didn't do anything about it in five years. And you are saying that God forgives unconditionally, which is true. But we are not all in this earth forever. We are here for a period of time. And when that period elapses, you face the master. You, 
you're going to give account of how you lived your life. And so, how would you be judged based on his word? Forgive others because I have forgiven you. So when you don't forgive others, you are insulting the forgiveness that you have received. And there is a punishment for that offense. So what you are being punished for is not that you didn't forgive that person. What you are being punished for is that you disobeyed God who has said you should forgive because you have received forgiveness. And the other side of that coin, the other side of that coin is that we, we glibly use the moniker Christians, meaning little Christ, meaning, meaning that we seek to emulate and model Christ to others. We seek to be transformed. That's what sanctification is. We, we, we seek to be transformed to be more and more like Christ. If that is true, and God forgives... That means that if I actually embrace Christ and want to be like Christ and become like Christ, then forgiveness is part of the package because he forgives. So what he's saying is at the end of the day, like you say, when, when you come to judgment and you have not forgiven, you've harbored, you have not understood that forgiveness, you have not understood what it means to be part of the kingdom and to become like Christ, then you've you've kind of missed the point, right? This says a sermon well taught, many heads nodding in agreement. <laughs> this is a sermon well taught, that there's many heads nodding in oh. agreement. Okay, okay. okay now, um, some societies have different... Um, standards for restitution, like you be in the Middle East and you, you lose a hand for stealing. And I think that the Western world has come, has come away from uh, the restitution model in uh, some ways. Do you think that has uh, permeated into our churches, that uh, this restitution thing we don't really live by anymore? We don't live by, if you take my cow, I'll give you three cows, because we just don't have cows anymore, right? You know. <laughs> And and no and the only thing that we have is money now, and people aren't willing to separate themselves from their money. So I think, uh, would you think that uh, restitution has come uh, a little yeah. bit lightly in the Western Church? I, I realize, you know, some of you are going to be annoyed with me. Um, I've never owned a business, uh, so I don't understand some of the challenges of business owners. Uh, but I I personally struggle with the idea of 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 going bankrupt. And, and canceling all of my debts and then starting up a new business doing the same thing uh, a couple of weeks later as if I'm free and, and whatever. So I, I personally, I have to admit that, that I struggle with that, that behavior. I, 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 I couldn't, I can't harmonize that approach to life with, with a commitment to follow Christ. I've probably opened a can of worms. I, I realize that in some cases, like this particular case, uh, this guy would have never been able to pay that debt back. I, I understand that. I'm just saying, be careful about the glib attitude while I can always declare bankruptcy and then, you know, in Spanish we say, baroni cuenta nueva, it's, you know, wipe off the blackboard and start over. Uh, I, I think we need to be people of integrity, and that means being concerned about the people that we've wronged and making restitution where we're able. 
Okay, I think we'll, uh, we'll stop and we'll call the praise band up. Thank you, gentlemen.